Welcome to the Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 29th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I will keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's one 855 411150 or online at themoneyr.com. And my lineup for today's show, Maya Butler with Real Logics, Sotheby's Royalty, What's Happening in Real Estate. Also in studio, John Katolik with Farmers Insurance, Getting to Know Home Insurance, Not as Boring as You May Think. And last guest in studio, Ryan Lundquist with Lundquist Company. We're going to have a conversation and discussion about appraisals. Great information and great guest in studio. For more information on any topics discussed, please call the show at one 855 411 Again, that's one 855 411 or online at com. And to start out today's show, let's start out with a little money chat. Money. Money. Today for Money Chat, I thought I would talk about trigger leads. What are trigger leads? It's those annoying calls and information that you get from people you may not want to talk to. And with the low interest rate environment, lenders are paying for trigger leads in a big way. They are hired into the mortgage industry for, with no experience to just dial for dollars. It's a surprise how many homeowners, when you make a loan application, Monday by Tuesday, your phone starts ringing off the hook with calls of other lenders offering you deals. Overnight, you've become a trigger lead. Now, when you sign up for a loan application, the lender pulls your credit report from all three major credit bureaus. When the lender requests your credit, it then triggers an alert informing the credit bureaus that you are a hot lead looking to purchase a new home or refinance an existing loan. The credit bureaus immediately sell these trigger leads to other lenders, presenting them with a list of hot leads that are looking for a loan, and the credit bureaus are making millions off of this. Yes, it is legal. It is coming from the credit bureaus. It's not coming from your lender. I know it's crazy. Uh, If you do a Google search for trigger leads, you'll see pages of advertisements to sell your personal information, your name, address, phone number, credit scores, types of debts, and accounts balances are all available for the picking. What's hard to believe, again, that this is a a legal um, thing that the credit bureaus can do. So there are two ways of looking at trigger at trigger leads. Consumers in the industry groups are divided on the issue of trigger leads. On one hand, some lenders and trade groups, including the Federal Trade Commission, argue that the practice encourages competitive and allows customers to better compare loan officers, loan offers, and other offers of credit. Now, on the other hand, to some con- uh, customers receiving calls from lenders after they've already submitted an application can feel like harassment. Add to that, if the potential for scams, you may receive calls making it sound as if 
they're calling about an application in order to lure you to reveal personal information, such as your social security number, which the credit bureau can't sell. You may also prom- be promised rates and costs that are not available, but after you've moved forward with another application, your credit score drops. The representative lets you know that the score is dropped and you no longer qualify for those rates and fees. Now, most consumers are tied by now and they've got to move forward with that offer. So issues, there are a number of problems with this practice. Primary, the bureaus are sharing your personal information with third parties without your permission. I believe it could put the consumer at risk of identity theft, and I don't believe the Bureau should be allowed to do this, but it is what the way it is. The bureaus essentially have a monetary and, and something that is almost as important as Social Security number, and they are using this to generate further profits. In addition, applying for a mortgage is a personal matter. So it's not um, the business of the credit bureaus to put out the information for mortgage. Now, second as a lender, I certainly don't appreciate the bureau sharing my client's information uh, with them for the competition. That really isn't the issue. The, The part that's wrong is just having the ability to get that information out and have calls coming in that you may not want to receive. And again, just putting you in a position that you may not understand what this call is for. It's not directly maybe coming from a lender, but it could put you in a situation where your personal financial information is getting out of there, getting out there. So there are three ways to stop the harassment. If you want to put your name on a phone number on the do not call registry, you can register your home and your cell phone number. It can take up to 31 days to become effective. So do it now. Uh, You'll want to register every five years because after five years it expires. So to prevent from mortgage lenders from sending you direct mail, you um, also may need to register with the direct mail association whether you register online or through the mail it costs about a buck so it's worth it direct mail association dma distributes its list quarterly so it can take a while before it becomes effective but um, again the registration is good for five years so you want to update that every five every five years Uh, you'll also want to sign up for the opt out pre-screen this will stop the credit bureaus from selling your name as trigger leads so there's a way to avoid this all together the phone number is 888 Five opt out, or you can just go online to opt out prescreen.com and it can stop the craziness uh, of your information being sold from the credit bureaus. So, hopefully, that's some helpful information for you uh, during our money chat today. And coming up next on the money are what's happening in real estate. I have Maya Butler with Real Logic Sotheby Realty right here on 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 29th show. I am committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to my show. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online at themoneyhour.com to ask any questions or 
better yet, to get connected with the guest I have in studio. Right now, I'm going to have a conversation with Maya Butler with Real Logic Sotheby Realty, and we're going to talk about what's happening in the real estate space. Maya, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Tina. And a little bit about Maya. Uh, Maya's been in the industry for over 40 years of, of experience in the local real estate market and is passionate about doing whatever it takes to provide our clients with the famous white glove service Real Logic Sotheby's is so famous for providing and excited to hear about uh, real estate it's kind of a, a hot topic right now everything that's going on in the real estate market and what's what's the update for our local real estate market right here Maya well home prices have literally set records for all areas within an hour's drive of Metro Seattle and Bellevue um, prices are going to continue to go up at I'd say for the next foreseeable four to five years. I don't see this changing at all. The bubble everyone thinks that we're in and we're going to crash again, I, I, I don't see that happening unless there's a major world crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, homes are appreciating about 2% per month right now in yeah. this area. And the median home price in Seattle is $729,000. Capitol Hill and Madison Park $997,000, and on the east side, $875,000. Um, it's not unreasonable to expect the median home price in all these areas to be around a million dollars by next year. Yeah, that is just, it's just crazy. And I just keep saying, to, you know, look at it. I mean, we've heard so much about uh, Seattle being the next Bay Area. And so you just take a look at their real estate and see how far behind we are. Um, and you can see that, yes, there's plenty of room for our market to continue. And a lot of those people are coming here to our market um, with the uh, for employment. So uh, it's crazy. What about the overflow effect on the housing market, Maya? Well, the overflow effect is where people are looking farther out uh, from the metropolitan area for more affordable housing. Uh, so many people are moving into the Seattle and East Side that the housing market simply can't support the volume. People are moving farther out where homes are more available and aren't as expensive as they are in the city. Companies in this area are also doing the same thing. Uh, They're moving out to, well, Amazon is building a 12 million square foot facility in Kent. Google is building a 2 million square foot campus on South Lake Union, and Facebook is doing the same thing nearby. So everybody is kind of moving out. Yes. Yeah. Farther and, and, and farther. you know, the em- employers, all of those, um, you know, the ones that were not started here, but started in Silicon Valley, they're building their satellite uh, companies here. I mean, there's just pages of list of companies that are doing that because of uh, the opportunity here in our market and to get out of all that craziness that's happening over in uh, California. So what do you, you expect if, what should you expect if you're trying to buy a home here, Maya? Um, well, inventory is still incredibly low. Builders are working their fastest and hardest that they possibly can to get more homes built. Um, and, you know, the property, once it hits the market, if it's priced within the realm of even reasonable, mm-hmm. you're going to have a buyer frenzy. Usually 90% of the homes put on the market, you have multiple offers, yeah. up to 30 offers. Um you know, especially in the urban centers. So it's 
um, not uncommon for homes to go for as much as $300,000 over asking price. Yeah, that's crazy. I just, uh, last week, my, I had an offer that came across my desk. The home was four ninety five. dollars uh, You know, that's uh, finding a home for 495000 The crazy thing was it went for, uh, my clients offered 600000 for this home. Yes. So four ninety five dollars offered six, waived financing, waived the, their, all of their contingencies and didn't get the deal, you know, so um, it's, it's just really crazy. So uh, is there hope for new home buyers in the, in this market, Maya? You I mean, know, what are you telling your buyers that are coming to you and they're getting frustrated because they can't get their offer accepted? They're competing against cash buyers. Um, they can't find any inventory out there, even a home that they want, take price out of it, but they just can't find the home that they want. Um, what are you telling them? Oh, well, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Um, for first time home buyers, there are lenders that have first-time homebuyer programs, mm-hmm. and um, I highly recommend to my clients to get a letter of credit versus a pre-approval letter, mm-hmm. which means that they've already gone through underwriting and they are approved by the underwriter for the loan amount. Um, living with the parents as long as you can to save up as much money as you can. Mm-hmm. Some people are now partnering on purchasing homes and sharing living in the homes. So that's one way that people are getting around it. Yeah. Actually, several. Yes, and that's a, um, I, yeah, we might, it'll be interesting to see the dynamics of how financing changes with the different properties that um, possibly are going to be built by these new home buyers where um, you've got community of people community kitchen. And so there's a, it'll be interesting to see what the future uh, has for us. What do you it do is. with those, the buyers that, cause yes, there's a lot of zero down option uh, programs available, grant programs you can get in. It doesn't seem that money and saving for a down payment as much of an issue as it is, is going in with that letter, um, your, your pre-approval, making an offer when you're competing against buyers that have a larger down payment and may look stronger. So how are you helping your buyers um, be more competitive to offset the fact that they've got those lower down payment uh, loans? Well, wh- one of the things is is um, just getting educated about the market, what's yep. actually happening with the market. And people have to understand that they're going to have to, in this market, offer more than what the house is listed yes. at in, in most cases. So that's not every case, but in most. Yeah. So preparing for that in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, writing love letters to the sellers. Yeah. A lot of people are doing that, how much they're going to appreciate the home, uh-huh. how much they love the home. Um, so, and then also, as you mentioned earlier, waiving contingencies Mm -hmm. and that's a double-edged sword right there. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. So if a client comes to you and says, Maya, are we in a housing crisis? What do you say? Um, yeah, I'd say we are absolutely, (laughs) you know, uh, it's estimated that half of China's wealth, their wealthy population plans to move out of the country. Uh, the most popular destinations for them right now to move their money out are Los Angeles. Second is Seattle. Then it's San Francisco and New York. Um, the airlines have increased the direct flights, t- you know, to and from SeaTac Airport mm-hmm. to a lot more destinations in t- in China. So it's much easier for business people to commute back and forth. Yeah, and so I I, I know that for you know uh, quite a few years we've seen uh, a lot of foreign investors. 
uh, purchasing properties. Are you seeing um, still a lot of foreign investors that are coming in and purchasing them and not occupying them and leaving them vacant? Is that still something that is happening a lot? That is, and that's a real concern for the state and King County as well. Do you think they're going to do something about that? I think that they eventually will. Yeah. So have you seen the foreign investors um, increase in the amount that are coming in or stay the same or... I've seen them increasing. Yeah, and still coming in it and just will. doing those cash those cash offers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And I, you know, if you look at the the opportunity or the lack of that they have in um, the investment opportunities and what their dollar is doing, I mean, it's just it makes sense to come in and just buy our real estate and have a safe place and something that's going to earn. Um, have a good in, um, uh, return on their investment. It, it is. And a lot and of them are buying it for um, uh, security for their kids to come live, right? Yes. And a lot of families are moving in because of the educational system as well. Yeah. So, so it, what other reasons are there with foreign investors that make our, you know, our area right here so um, popular? Uh, number one is... Uh, location, the West mm-hmm. Coast to China, okay, to Asia, yep. more direct flights back mm-hmm. and forth, um, and it's a safe investment for them. Yeah. So they they want to get their money into yeah. a safe safe place. And I think that's the hardest thing in these um, in these multiple offer situations for buyers is not that they're com- competing against other buyers as much that they're competing against these cash buyers. And it just makes it, I mean, you you know, you know, on the listing, you work with both buyers and sellers. And so on the seller side, it's a lot easier in this market than buyers. But when you're looking at all these offers and you've got a cash offer, even if the price is is equal or maybe that that buyer that has a, a, a lower down payment is coming even a little bit higher on the price, it's still a cash is looking much more appealing, right? It is. It is. But, you know, I mean, every situation is going to be different. And when I'm evaluating offers, uh, a letter of credit, like I said earlier, yes. um, that's going to that's going to be able to compete with the cash offers because yeah. I know that the financing has already been approved. Yeah, makes sense. So if you're if you're hearing that and you're looking at uh, getting in the market or you're in the market looking right now uh, and you've talked with a lender, you need to make sure that you have a letter of credit so it's gone through full underwrite. And how you know that is because you get a list of conditions of exactly what is needed um, to complete that. And those con- conditions are going to be based on property, not based on you, because those items should already be cleared and ready to go. So really important. Uh, Maya, and thank you so much for sharing that with my listeners. Yes. So why would now be a good time for anyone to sell their home? Obviously, it's, you know, it's a great market for them to sell. But what other reasons are you seeing? Well, I think it's a fabulous time to sell because they can capitalize, you know, on their primary home and investments here. Mm -hmm. So you can get top dollar for your home now. Um, And if you, a lot of people, you know, are relocated or they have to move or downsize or what have you or need a larger home, you know, it is, um, they're going to get a great return on that investment right now. It's estimated that over a thousand families are moving into this area every single week. So the, de- the demand will continue. Yeah. yeah. And so what are you doing for your um, uh, sellers, Maya, that are looking at selling and buying a new property? 
Well, one of the things that I like to do with my sellers, because a major concern if you're selling your home is I need the money to invest in this other property. Uh And what I do is I tell them to just um, make sure that they have a lease back for 60 days after their home is sold Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that they do, in fact, get the money. They have the time to go look for another property. Yes. They don't have to move into temporary housing in between Mm -hmm. the moves. So Uh this gives them two months to figure out where they're going to go and what they're going to do. Yeah, great great advice. So you can you know do that strategy, um, avoid the temporary housing. Uh, the other thing, working on you know being in the lending space, it's really important. A lot of people that I talk with, their first conversation is just getting them to you know have that appointment My uh, as you, my referral partner, and getting clients over to me for financing is yeah. um, concerned that they just can't do it. So they don't even want to talk to a lender to hear that bad news when the reality is a a lot of them are actually in a position not to need those funds. Um, they can qualify for the mortgage, both mortgage payments, because debt-to-income ratios are going to high 40 to low 50% DTI. Uh, they can do a low down payment uh, loan, do a uh, purchase that doesn't cost them any money by doing a no closing cost purchase, take a higher interest rate because, of course, there's cost associated, but the lender takes care of those costs with the higher rate. Um, and then they can refinance or they can do a recast to where they just do a one time recast on their mortgage to have it reamortized when their home sells. So there's some creative financing. Uh, you can do a HELOC sometimes uh, or a bridge loan is more commonly known. So look at all your options and make sure you analyze everything. Meet with your real estate expert uh, to find out what options are available there in partnership with your lender to find out what options so that you can really put that plan together and accomplish whatever your goals uh, that you want to do. So Maya, thank you so much for uh, coming back in studio. Thanks for being a real estate expert for my listeners here on the Money Hour. And I just love uh, chatting with you. Thank you so much, Tina. Okay. Coming up next on the Money Hour, uh, we're going to be talking about homeowners insurance. Maybe it sounds boring, but it's actually not. I have John Katolik with Farmers Insurance right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Hello, I'm John Katolik, one of Tina's guests on the Money Hour. I'm a farmers insurance agent in Redmond, Washington, and I work hard to make sure that every one of my customers is properly insured. So what's the right liability coverage on your home or car? Well, to be honest, it changes. I promise to every one of my customers to annually review with them that they have the right amount of coverage and does not have to cost you a lot of money. In fact, adding a million dollar umbrella policy costs most families less than a dollar a day. That's a million bucks of coverage for less than a buck a day. To learn more, you can reach me, John Katolik, at 425-947-1429. Again, that's John Katolik at 425-947-1429. I'm a farmer's agent in downtown Redmond, Washington. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 29th show. I provide you news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at one 855 411150 or go online at themoneyhour.com to 
ask any questions that I have the guest, uh, my guest in studio or request any topics that you'd like me to bring into the show. And right now I have John Katolik with Farmers Insurance, getting to know your home insurance, not as boring as you might think. Uh, John, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thank you, Tina. Great to be here again. And a little bit about John, owner of a farmer's insurance agent, downtown Redmond, working to make sure that autos, homes, and lives are the are for the average consumer are adequately protected. John is a big advocate of protecting his clients using the tools added for an umbrella to get the best coverage up to the level where they need to protect the average consumer in the Seattle area. John also works with businesses and commercial property owners to ensure them against most losses from restaurants to manufactured plants, from wineries to laundromats, from contractors to dentists, and everything in between. John has over 30 years of an extensive business and insurance experience in the Puget Sound area that he brings to bear in advising customers. So, John, buying a home is the largest financial decision most people ever make. And given that fact, there are criti- it's critical to make sure that that home is protected for loss. So, in that vein, what should be the coverage included in most basic policies? Well, the most basic policies, Tina, are going to cover three interrelated things. The home itself, think of that as the bricks and sticks the house is itself. It's going to cover your stuff the clothes, TVs, mm. furniture, all those things that if you took the house upside down and shook it are going to free, we broke, going to fly free and clear. And finally, the liability you have as a, a homeowner where somebody might uh, fall down your front steps and sue you or a dog that you own might bite you. So those are the three interrelated things. There's a several things that you might have in addition to that. Uh, loss of use is really mm-hmm. important. Um, the house burns down or there's a small fire, but you can't live there for several weeks. Having coverage to cover your living expenses elsewhere are really important. Um, that's kind of the three most important things. Okay. So when you insure your home, how do you deal with its uh, the value and the inflation that occurs with um, the cost of replacing it? Because a lot of times people get confused when they look at their insurance and it says that it's uh, coverage for... 150000 and they just paid $600,000 for that home. Well, there's not that big a gap, but there is a gap. <laughs> okay, it's a little bit extreme. <laughs> well, and it can be the gap the other way, where you're in a market of depressed prices, yes. where the house costs more to build than it's worth. Uh-huh. So you're trying to protect either way. Um, well, there's two methods, the replacement cost, me- me- replacement cost method and the actual cash value method. And then, there, excuse me, there's also a third, the extended replacement cost method. Let me talk about each. Replacement cost is what it is. So my house burns down. It's, we've got an insured for 150000 for replacement. That's not the value of the land. That's to replace the home. Got it. Mm-hmm. Well, that 150000 is there to use. The actual cash ba- value method is takes into account depreciation. So I've got an older home built 50 years ago, and its market value is a million dollars. It's uh, insured for the depreciated value, so let's say it's only insured for 500000 to reconstruct it might be six fifty. Uh-huh. I'm short 150000 And there's a third in my most favorite way, which is extended replacement cost. On the front end, we value a house for 500000 but we build in some cheat factor, 10%, 25%, 50%, or the best of all is guaranteed replacement. The house burns down, guaranteed replacement says it doesn't matter what it costs, it's going to be taken care of. Wow, sounds like my favorite as well. So, John, given these three types of coverage, what are some general tips for insuring your home's value? Make sure your insurance for reconstruction costs is up to date with what the marketplace says it is. 
talk to your friend that's the um, realtor, uh-huh. talk to your friend that's the appraiser, the lender, and ask, what are the construction costs in my neighborhood? You know the square footage of your house, multiply the construction costs times the square footage of your house, and you're going to be pretty darn close to what it's going to cost this year to rebuild it. Yeah, great advice. So what about your, all your stuff that you talked about, your personal property, the furniture and clothing um, that you have in your closets, the TVs and computers, everything that you own that's stored away in the house? What about that? Well, you had, again, the, the two methodologies, replacement cost. You want your, let's say, let's say you've got a suit that's uh, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Replacement cost after a fire and my, I've lost my suit is going to say that your house, you can go out and buy that from Macy's now, comparable suits, $500, even though the value might actually be what the Goodwill would give you, which is 10 sure. bucks. Yep. The other methodology is using that actual cash value, which I call as a Goodwill or, or a St. Vincent de Paul value, which is almost nothing. I encourage all my customers to use a replacement cost value for the, met- for the method of valuing the personal property they have. Okay. So would this go for the same for jewelry, art, coin collections, maybe even your baseball cards? I mean, <laughs> some of those can have a lot of value on them. Yeah. Well, th- th- that's a particular problem. Um, most, most insurance uh, for homes have a built-in what is called sublimit. Those sublimits will say there's $2,500 covered for jewelry. Well, the average woman has a diamond ring on her finger that's worth a heck of a lot more than that. Yes. The way you handle that is you add a rider or a floater to your policy and endorsing it specifically for that item. It requires getting that ring appraised. Mm-hmm. It has to be within two years, and they're going and insuring it for that. That itself might cost a third or a fourth of what the policy's worth. And that's handled differently by every company. Some companies, like farmers, uh-huh. guarantees that if you have a mysterious loss of that, you don't know where it went, it's going to be covered. Other companies have to actually have to have a theft and a, and a crime report for that. Got it. Or a fire or some, some loss that's connected to it. That so it's real sense. important to understand that you just don't get it, um, the value of that ring covered with your yeah. insurance. There's a sublimit. Same goes for baseball cards, Mm -hmm. money you might have, stock certificates, all that. It's going to be limited for that category to a certain level and not nearly as high as you think it's worth if you have substantial assets tied up in that personal property. Yeah, so just like, you know, you don't see as much attention put to uh, insurance for home and auto as you do when you're looking at your financial plan, when the reality listening to you, um, call to action of my listeners, is to really get with your your insurance agent or, you know, call the show to get uh, connected here with John, that you really have to do that research. And it's it's also really important to document what you own. If you have objects like that, and I've got a 1955 Mickey Mantle baseball card in mint condition, I should document, one, what I paid for it, two, uh-huh. by taking pictures and cell phones are great for this. Yeah. Document everything you own so that if there is a loss, there's no question that you actually have it. If you have a significant fire and it, it hits this, these, these items you own, yeah. there's no proof unless you can prove it. A picture is a, worth a million bucks in yeah. many cases. Yeah, get the, get the pictures and make sure they're in a place that are outside of the home so that they're, uh, that they're safe in case uh, that does happen. So being in the mortgage industry, and you know, I talk with buyers uh, every day that are under contract and, and you know they've got to get insurance for their home. What is um, advice or information you would give on the process of insuring home for the first time? If you've got an insurance agent, tell them you've got a house you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Have them run a quote on it. There's some beautiful things that happen inside the insurance industry. One is that we have a track record of every home out there that's ever had a claim. You can see they had water damage three years ago. What's important about that for you is that's going to increase the cost of your insurance. That loss 
runs with that home. You may have had a prior loss in your renter policy two years ago mm-hmm. that was water damage. That loss also affects the rate you're going to pay on that home you purchased. You might yeah. not see the connection, but the insurance industry ties losses both to the property that you're buying and your own history of claims because it says something about how you take care of stuff too. Yeah, makes makes sense. What about location of your home? Where are the homes located? What type of impact does that have or does it? Well, it's obvious. you get high crime rate, rates in some parts of yeah. Seattle that are going to affect the, the cost of your insurance mm-hmm. for theft. Um, you're also going to have the likelihood of disasters People, as they move up into the mountains, um, they're going to have a higher chance of having their home burned down due to a forest fire, Yes, um, as anybody knows. Um, there is also uh, the age and condition of the house. An old Victorian house sounds wonderful, but it may have older wiring, and the cost of fixing that with all the detail just yeah. isn't possible today. So an insurance carrier is going to look at that. They may not even want many, many carriers out there won't insure a home prior to 1950 mm-hmm. for anything less than actual cash value. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, everything is based on statistic of default, getting a mortgage, and a, a loan is based on statistic of default. Um, interest rates are going to be uh, affected based on that. Insurance, no difference. It's, it, you know, the, the statistics of that home, statistics of the neighborhood and the individual that is requiring for the insurance makes total sense. So what other advice do you have uh, for my listeners on how to lower their premium for home insurance? Um, put deadbolts on your doors. Make sure you've got all the le- most recent, uh, um, sprink- if you've got a system, a sprinkler system, if you don't, the cl- proximity to a fire hydrant, uh-huh. um, alarm systems that are centrally monitored, all those things add up to helping you lower your cr- uh, uh, cost of your insurance, raising your deductible, um, m- multi-policy discounts. I tell mm-hmm. all my customers, at least try getting it all with me, not yes. because I'm greedy. I am, but it also allows me... <laughs> It also allows well, at least me. The, you're honest, John. It allows me the opportunity to offer you discounts as yeah, much as fifteen or twenty percent if you have your car and home and umbrella with me. Okay. So, so anything else that you can do to um, improvements and changes in the home to lower that that cost? In the Northwest, the number one loss claim we have is water. Yes. It gets through that roof. So a new roof. Uh, if you if you put a new roof on your home, uh-huh. make sure you tell your insurance carrier that. You have a new roof. They'll uh-huh. give you a discount, oftentimes as much as 20 25% in our marketplace. Um, and again, I've, I think I've told you in my prior visit here, maintain a good credit score. Yes. In Washington State especially, credit is really connected to what you pay for insurance, whether that's your home, your auto, Why is it or different in else. Washington than other states? We, we tend, in this state, we've tended to use that as a good barometer. I think you look at the income of the people that live here, the uh-huh. kind of people that live on the east side especially, that they're... Their assets and their wealth tend to make them better insured uh, prospects simply because they have more to lose. So that's actually because I've never, that's the first time that I've ever realized that, that actually that algorithm or whatever is on, is different for credit score in different mm-hmm. states. But so then the way you're saying it is actually a benefit to us because if you've got that higher credit score, it's going to benefit you. So right. yeah, makes that, that makes sense. So, John, we've covered a lot of a lot of ground today, but one thing that we haven't covered was talking about uh, earthquake insurance and flood insurance. And on flood insurance, I don't have a lot of properties that my clients are purchasing that are in a flood zone. Uh, but when I have, uh, it, there can be flood zones where the insurance really isn't that much. And another one that I, it, it's really, really expensive. And same with earthquake. Earthquake insurance in some homes are is really inexpensive. In other ones, it's 
crazy expensive. So can you talk a little bit about about that? Well, let me talk about flood insurance a little bit as just to, to interact with that a bit. Okay. Um, I agree with you. Most of the time, a floodplain's known. So if you buy a house in Carnation, your, your lender's going to require it. Um, of and course, is, yes. And it's driven by the, what the government says it's going to be. Uh-huh. Um, but there is a, a caveat, I would say, where people should look at flood insurance. If you buy a home in Seattle at a base of a hill, the water from a November storm blocked by leaves can rush into your home and flood your basement and some of your first floor. That's not covered unless you have flood insurance. So it's real important to look at the location of your home relative, not to streams, but to capacity for water to come down a hillside. Yes. Um, And then earthquake insurance, I would just tell people that it's been since 2001, since the last major one, uh, earthquakes tend to be in the Puget Sound every 15 to 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. We're halfway through that period, being 16, 17 years out since the one in 2001. I would encourage people to look at it. Yeah. You can find insurance companies that carry it as an endorsement, and it's relatively cheap. Okay. So I just, I would really push looking at both those as options in particular cases. Yeah. One of the reasons earthquake insurance costs more depends upon the age of the home again. Sure. The newer homes, they're strapped. They're not even bolted. They are strapped with long straps that run through the foundation up against the walls and uh-huh. tighten down. The older homes are, stra- are are bolted down the bottom frame. Got it. So on that, because you talked about improvements, is there anything that you could do in improvements related to prepare your house for earthquake that's going to financially make sense because of the lower coverage or the lower cost for that coverage? You can look at, you know, if a handy homeowner can do some of this, but, uh-huh. but strapping has become the particular way they would do it. You take the siding off and you run strap down and you, and you really power drive it into the foundation mm-hmm. up along the wall, or you run bolts through the bottom uh, um, sill plate. On a, on a base of a wall. Got it. So if, if you're listening today, my conversation here with John, uh, uh, owner of a firm, it's in, farmer insurance uh, company, is really kind of strategize with your insurance agent to find out what things you might be able to do to the home, weigh out the cost associated to do that, and how much it's going to save you in insurance. And there can be a big difference. Make sure that you're bundling things up so that you're getting those discounts and getting the right policy right. For, for what you need. And there's a lot of insurance companies out there that will actually wrap around and other insurance companies, mm-hmm. primary insurance okay. as an earthquake carrier. Got so it. just shop. Yeah. I, I really encourage you to do that. Makes sense. Just like everything else, you really, really want to, um, you're looking for the best representation and the company that can take care of what your needs are. John, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back again soon. You betcha. Coming up next in the Money Hour, a discussion on appraisals. Ryan Lenquist with Lenquist Company right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Hello, I'm John Katalik, one of Tina's guests on The Money Hour. I'm a farmer's insurance agent in Redmond, Washington, and I work hard to make sure that every one of my customers is properly insured. So what's the right liability coverage on your home or car? Well, to be honest, it changes. If you own a home in the Seattle area, you've seen your net worth increase by $300,000 to $500,000 over just the last five years. But have you increased your auto and home insurance coverage to match your increased net worth? Have you? If your current agent isn't talking to you about this, they're not doing their job. Please know that I will. I promise to every one of my customers to annually review with them that they have the right amount of coverage and does not have to cost you a lot of money. In fact, adding a million dollar umbrella policy costs most families less than a dollar a day. That's a million bucks of coverage for less than a buck a day. To learn more, you can reach me, John Katalik, at 425-947-1429. Again, that's John Katalik at 425-947-1429. I'm a farmer's agent in downtown Redmond, Washington. 
You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 29th show. I provide the news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can talk with the guests that I have in the show if you call 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And in studio right now, I have Ryan Lindquist with Lindquist Company. Uh, we're going to be having a discussion on appraisals. Right, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, joining me back on studio. Well, you're on the phone because I know that you're all the way in the Sacramento area, but I appreciate you uh, joining me. Hey, no sweat. Really glad to be here and uh, looking forward to conversation. And a little bit about Ryan. He's a certified residential appraiser in the Sacramento area. His clients include homeowners, real estate agents, governmental agencies, attorneys, and lenders. Ryan runs the Sacramento Appraisal Blog, which is a top-ranking appraisal blog in the United States. Ryan has been seen multiple times on CBS, quoted in the local and national publications. He is the chair of the Housing Opportunity Committee with the Sacramento Association of Realtors, and he is a board member of the Real Estate Appraisal Association of Sacramento. Ryan also won the Affiliate of the Year Award in 2014 for the Sacramento Association of Realtors. And um, I went all the way out to Sacramento to get a guest for the studio when in the appraisal space from reading uh, Ryan's blog. So if you're listening, I encourage you to take a check, uh, take a look at that because um, provides some really great content and information. So a little bit about uh, the appraisal market. I mean, it's the housing market's crazy, which the appraisal market's crazy. It doesn't matter if you're buying in your market or uh, our market here in the Seattle, but what are the dangers of dangers of overpricing from your perspective as an appraiser? Yeah, sure thing. And, and I think overpricing is something that we see a lot of in a market with sensational headlines. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like every time uh, buyers and sellers open up a magazine or newspaper or read something online, uh, whether they're local publications or national, talking about the local market, it's all sensational and it's all about how hot the market is. And so I think that's where overpricing comes from in, in a lot of regards. But then the dangers are you put the property on the market and, and it just sits and, and yeah. nothing happens. And, you know, there's this expectation that it's going to sell, but then it doesn't. And then, you know, sellers sometimes struggle to negotiate the price down because they feel like, you know, my house is really worth this amount. And so it can sometimes create a lot of tension when it comes to negotiating and, and really getting the price to a reasonable level where it should be in the first place. Yeah, that's why it's so important to work with a uh, expert real estate, which I've had one uh, in here before I'm your conversation, uh, Ryan, and really find out exactly what that price is and to price it correct. And that's how you're going to maximize your dollar. So how is it, and this is a, a buyer would ask, in appraisal, if the appraisal value comes in low, how could that happen when the market is so hot? There were multiple offers on that property. Everybody was bidding over asking price. So how come the appraisal came in low? Well, it's a good question. And and the truth is, is that sometimes properties are getting bid up to, I think what we would say is no man's land or no person's land, if we Mm -hmm. say it like that. And, you know, it's really a a place that doesn't represent the market. It represents this bidding war. And, you know, if, um, 
and so sometimes properties get get up that high. I know the Chicago Tribune just ran a story about um, this very phenomenon, and really it was a piece that it sounded like it kind of butchered appraisers at the end of the day, but at the same time, the piece went on to show that there was this bidding war. And and so in some senses, I think sellers need to control um, it with their agents, mm-hmm. which offers they accept unless that buyer has cash to pay the difference between a reasonable value, the appraisal, and the contract price, then you know, then the appraisal might really come in low, but it's lower than the contract price. But then again, it's where it probably should be. And so I think we just have to take a realistic mindset over that. Um, and then at the same time, if if the market, the sales, and the pendings are all at a high level. And, you know, there's 10 offers at that level, too, and then the appraisal comes in lower, then I think sometimes we do wonder and think, well, come on. I mean, it sounds like the market was speaking. There is a data there to support a higher value. And and that's unfortunate if if the appraisal really did come in too low. Yeah, knock on wood, I'm not having, you know, too too many challenges with uh, uh, low appraisals at all. But um, if that comes up really, it's just, it's back to, as an appraiser, you're licensed and um, your job is to support the value that's there on the contract. And to do that when it comes to the lending side, because you have to meet the requirements of when the lender is going to review that appraisal, you've got to have your comps. And, and, you know, compensating factor can be what's happening in those multiple offers. But ultimately, you've got to find comparable homes that uh, warrant that price that they're paying. So I I want to ask you um, uh, something, Ryan, as well with a low down payment buyer. So if you've got, if there's multiple offers on that that property and you know, let's say that there's been 10 offers and uh, you've got this buyer that was accepted, had a low down payment and they paid quite a bit higher amount than what the highest offer was. And you might be able to come close to supporting that value, but you're a little off. Is there anything that's coming? Are are you looking at the fact that that buyer did a low down payment? Does that have any reflect in how you're going to or not support that value? So it really doesn't, it doesn't make a difference in the value because, you know, there might be, you know, a family member or there, there might be a personal relationship between the buyer and seller, but their contract price either reflects a market or it doesn't. And so it doesn't really matter where the buyer's coming from or what type of financing is used. But mm-hmm. I will say that sometimes buyers that put very little money down, they're offering at a price that they really want to secure that contract. In. Yes. And in an, in an aggressive market, we see these types of buyers at times, that they'll offer whatever the list price is, even if the list price is not reasonable mm-hmm. or the buyer will say, I'm tired of getting beat out. It's a competitive market, and I'm going to offer 20000 more because I can qualify for that loan. And so the appraiser has to come in and then just tell the story of value and um, and, and show market value. Here's If you lined up 100 buyers, how much would most of them pay for the property? What's the most probable price this pro- property should bring in an open and competitive market? And really not the highest price. Yeah. You know, the, it's not that one buyer who's willing to pay more than anyone else because that's not the market. That's mm-hmm. one buyer. And unfortunately, I think when there's little skin in the game at times, it that can influence what where the contract ends up. And, you know, and it's too bad because then if the buyer doesn't have funds to to come and pay for the difference, I mean, it could create some tension in, yeah. in negotiation, and, and, and it's not easy. You know, it's not easy for those buyers, but the truth is, is that that's not the appraiser's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. the, the appraiser's not there to 
enable that deal to get done, it's the appraiser's there to show what market value is and and help the lender manage risk, whether they should do the loan or not. It's it's not the appraiser's fault that yeah. someone offered too much. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, and you're helping the lender as well as the buyer um, to make sure that they're not paying, um, you know, over asking price. So it's, you know, kind of the protection on both sides there. So Ryan, what is your opinion of uh, Zillow or online sites uh, representing value and, you know, what that really means in comparison? I mean, how far off do you see these online sites to the actual value of the home? So it it really depends. Sometimes in tract neighborhoods are a little bit better than Mm -hmm. in rural rural areas, but other times I'll appraise something and then even in the tract neighborhood, Zillow's off by 10% or I've seen Zillow off, you know, by 40 to 50% or more, you know, for fourplexes and duplexes. And so, it's um it's really really hit and miss. But the thing I find interesting about Zillow though is that they come out with all these articles about uh, how precise they are in value. And so they mm-hmm. had something recently about um, if you painted your bathroom blue, a certain shade of blue, you can get uh, fifty four hundred dollars more in value. What? <laughs> Where do they come it's up a, with that? Yeah. Is it kind of like well, an emotional thing for the appraiser that it just makes them feel better, so they're giving you their five grand on value? So, well, see, I think it's we we hear this this headline, and then consumers go, "Wow, that is so neat!" But then every single human appraiser on the ground and everyone in real estate's going, "Give me a break!" Yeah, that that's is, crazy. That is so not true. Maybe you analyzed a bunch of pictures. And these remodeled homes happen to have a trendy color with uh-huh. light blue or, or turquoise. And then so we can falsely attribute, you know, $30 in bathroom paint with $5,400 in value. And so wow. I think that in some senses, we, we have to be really careful what online sites are telling us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's not to say that, you know, trust the humans more than the machines. Sure. I'm just saying that I think sometimes we're having these articles that are being sold as, as definitive truth. But we really have to step back and just think critically about the information we're presented. Yeah. Well, we know we have to watch everything on, um, you know, line. I mean, it's, you know, there's information that's going to be accurate, information that's not. There's going to be opinions and opinions are going to vary. And so it's just a a wealth of information and take it for what it is. Um, So can you explain a little bit uh, more uh, briefly about how you come up with the value? What determines the value? Sure. So... Uh, first, I know that's a whole show in itself, but go yeah, ahead, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the market determines the values, first of all, generally. And so value is going to be seen in the sales um, and comparable sales, ones that are similar enough to where we would say if a buyer wasn't buying this subject property, the buyer would purchase these other ones. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like the appraiser takes an apples-to-apples approach. And if the subject property was an apple, you're looking for other apples and saying, what have they sold for and what are they getting into contract for right now? Okay, and so we really have to give strong weight to pending sales. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the pendings will help us show that the market's increasing because they're all getting into contract at higher levels. And sometimes when the market softens and you start to see properties no longer selling at the same level and then, okay, look, the market softening or if it's declining in value, um, you know, then we have to give more weight to those pendings too. And so, um, you know, that's in it in a nutshell. I guess, I mean, we could talk through all the aspects of the appraisal report, but mm-hmm. let's not bore everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Especially without any visual. What is, what is that yeah, without visual? Exactly. So I don't exactly. know, in, in, in the Sacramento market versus here in our Seattle market, are you guys, are you guys short on appraisers? 
Is there a lack so, of appraisers to accommodate for uh, what's happening in the market? You know what? We have enough in Sacramento. I talked to the state recently, and in their sense was in different markets in California, there are, there are definitely enough appraisers. In the rural markets, mm-hmm. that's where the struggle is. But um, my understanding that in your market you know, that there is a legitimate shortage in, in Oregon and Washington. I actually have um, a friend who moved up from the Bay Area, um, and he moved to Vancouver because uh, there is a need for more appraisers. Yeah, and, and it's, it's gotten... About- Oh, These are about twice as much yes. uh, there as they are here. So well, and what we what we've um, uh, and, it, and it's interesting with all of the uh, regulations on cost and associated with getting a loan. I mean, there's a I mean, you know, behind the scenes, everything that's happened after the financial crisis. But it's interesting with the with the appraisals. What we actually can do, and I educate my clients on this, is you know we can do a rush appraisal, pay a rush fee, but you can actually go out there and put that price out there. And I've kind of found that found that magic spot in, you know, what um, the the uh, price I, you know, the val or the cost that I'll put out there to the appraisers to get the appraiser appraiser to pick it up relatively quickly. So you can kind of play with that and go, okay, you want to spend an extra 300 bucks for this appraisal, then we can definitely get it back in under two weeks or not. And we're going to be at risk of, of closing. And you can also play with the time frame that you request that appraisal. So if you put a, a nice price out there for the appraisal, make it appealing for the appraiser to pick it up. Uh, also, you don't have too strict of a timeline, meaning you're asking for it back in a week versus saying two weeks is going to do. So it's just kind of interesting how you can find that sweet spot um, uh, to address the issue uh, with the turn times. Yeah, and I, I think you're really smart to do that, too, because there's a lot of talk uh, nationally right now about how there's this big appraiser shortage. But mm-hmm. the, the truth is, is that there's a lot of appraisal management companies, sort of the, the middleman or yeah. go the in-between, and they're simply offering really, really low fees yes. and unrealistic turn times. And so if appraisers are super busy and yeah. then these AMCs, you know, blast out, this order to 200 appraisers or more, and then say, and then you know the AMC says, "Hey, what's your best fee, or what's um, you know, and and when can you get it done?" Mm-hmm. Then they're really fishing for the lowest price possible, um, and then a lot of appraisers just delete that; it's garbage. And exactly. You think, why would I? Why would I even bite on this? And uh-huh. so, in contrast, if you have a lender reaching out who's built relationships with appraisers, mm-hmm. or who says hey, look, we understand that you're busy and here's here's a, a normal fee for the market, yep. but we want to pad it with, you know, however much a rush fee should be and here's a reasonable time, then you're going to find someone to do that. It's just like in my market right now, we have a labor shortage because when the housing bubble burst, um, all, you know, skilled labor moved to Texas or mm-hmm. moved back to Mexico and such. And so right now it's really hard to find a contractor. And so if I, you know, blast 300 contractors with an email saying, hey, who's going to buy it at the lowest price? And, you know, that's going to be a joke. I'm going to go yes. to everyone's spam spam folder rather than find find someone who's going to work and, you know, do quality work. And so it's just, it's an interesting place to be right now. And I think yeah. that there's a lot of misinformation out there about 
about the appraiser shortage and such, but mm-hmm. but there are markets where yeah they I mean they're struggling. We we need more appraisers in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely hear that in our market. But anything else, if you're not getting the results that you want, you got to play around with it and find that sweet spot. And um, I think I definitely did. So a call to action on the lending side is you know ask what it's taking for those appraisers. There's appraisals. There's no reason you can't get an appraisal back in in uh, two weeks um, for a seven hundred thousand dollar home. You might be looking at eight nine for the appraisal. So, you know, uh, there's a call to action. Ryan, well, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me. I appreciate you doing the Family Finance and Future online meetup uh, earlier in the week and then, uh, you know, tagging behind it with a different conversation here for my listeners on the Money Hour and just really appreciate your wealth of information. And I love reading the information that you put out online and that's why you're here. So again, if you're listening, I encourage uh, for you to take a look and follow uh, Ryan and the information uh, that he uh, puts out there as resources. So thank Thank you, Ryan. Oh, thanks so much, Tina. What a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Okay. We'll talk with you soon. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. I look forward to talking more money, same place, same time, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.